This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Stanford coach David Shaw. Before the pandemic shut down college sports, I had planned to catch up with Coach Shaw about a variety of big picture issues in college football. He is the chair of the Football Rules Committee, so we'll talk faking injuries, we'll talk transfers, and name, image, and likeness. And now we'll also ask how he has been managing his team through social distancing and how long he thinks Stanford would need to get ready for the start of a football season. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me today on the podcast, David Shaw, coach of Stanford. We are about a month late on this on this podcast interview. We originally had scheduled this uh, right around the time the pandemic took sports away from us. So we, David and I both decided to put this on hold uh, until things sort of settle down. And we are going to talk some football and we are going to talk some other stuff. First of all, uh, David, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, great to hear your voice. Let's start with some of the things that are sort of frontline issues, um, because when we originally scheduled the talk, and we will get to rules and uh, how Stanford football is doing and things along those lines, you're the head of the rules committee. But again, the sports has been turned upside down like all parts of life because of the coronavirus pandemic. Let me ask you, how are you managing with having your football team scattered about? Like most things, um, I always go back to the way I was raised, which was you either complain or you get to work. And uh, for us, it was about organizing ourselves as a staff before we could even organize our players, um, setting up a structure for staying on top of our football in communication with each other um, and and recruiting, um, setting a plan for how we're going to continue using the technology available to us, um, and be the best that we can be um, use, utilizing that. Um, and then with our players, um, what can we send them? How can we structure uh, their uh, workouts, their their sense of community, which is extremely important for their mental health, I believe, um, that they don't feel isolated and alone because they're a member of a football team. So how can we engage with them uh, in non-football ways and football ways to make sure that we still have uh, engagement with our young people? Um, and then be able to send them uh, what we can for them to continue their physical development and in preparation for whenever we can get back together uh, to make sure that the the majority of our team is in the best possible shape 
um, to hopefully get a chance to play the game we love. I'm curious what kind of care packages you've been able to send kids. I know schools have uh, very much been concerned about how their athletes are eating. Uh, In some cases, people who maybe have family uh, situations that are a little, you know, maybe not as well structured as others and as stable as others, whether they eat getting enough meals and things along those lines. I'm not sure if you have people like that on your roster, but just in general, what are you able to send them, be it food or equipment or things along those lines? Well, yeah, there's there's a lot to that, a lot of NCAA and conference regulations, and even within each school, <clears throat> what everybody chooses to do. Um, you know, workout-wise, you know, medicine balls and jump ropes and exercise bands. We talked to our guys about household items um, that they could utilize. You know, I, I, we had those conversations. I started thinking about Rocky Ford. He's working out in a barn, uh, getting ready to fight Ivan Drago. Um, you know, but, but making sure they, they can utilize whatever is at their house. We took a poll from our players to see what, you had, what those guys had available to them that, that, that could be utilized. Um, on the nutrition side, um, there are things that we can do. Uh, we're trying to make sure we do the most, uh, the smartest things we can. You know, there are different proteins and powders and bars um, just to supplement what guys have. I know there's some talk about what uh, their their actual stipends for those that are in school, um, and and a lot of communication and education on the best food choices to make. And not everybody's situation is the same. So making sure we can have a chance to have a touch point with each person on what they have access to um, and how they can best take care of themselves. So a lot of communication, um, somewhat limited in what we can send them, uh, but making sure that we send them enough and keep in contact with them enough to make sure that they are staying safe and healthy and being able to exercise and prepare their minds and bodies. There was about a, a two, maybe a three-week period and maybe even it's still lingering at this point, where it seemed like there was a fair amount of confusion as to what was allowed in my conference as opposed to what was allowed in another conference as opposed to what the NCAA was allowing. Um, do you feel like everybody, and when I say everybody, I'm sort of like sp- sort of speaking uh, broadly universally of college football, do you feel like everybody's sort of on the same page now and you have a pretty good understanding that what is going on at Stanford is similar to what is going on at USC, which may be similar also to what's going on at Clemson, Alabama, or Michigan? I'm going to answer that question honestly mm-hmm. and say no. I don't believe we're all on the same page. Okay. I think there's a big attempt to get us all on the same page. I think the NCAA has tried uh, to communicate with everybody. There's an old coaching adage that most people say um, in joke in a joking fashion. You know, if you ain't treating, you ain't trying. Um, <laughs> right, right. But I don't think this is about cheating. I think this is about how much can I do to best help my team without breaking the rules. Um, so there are different interpretations in different places about what is allowable. Um, I'm hoping that we all do get on the same page um, uh, sooner than later um, because this is not about you know, trying to get an edge for your team. Um, this is about make sure we do the smart things for our young people to stay healthy and safe and at the same time try as best as we can to have somewhat of a level playing field and make sure that we're all going through the same thing so that we all have the same 
um, opportunities to be successful when we're allowed to come back together. Yeah, I, I'm glad you framed it that way because my sense of this hasn't necessarily been. I know there's been a few stories about what Alabama did with uh, Apple Watches and things along those lines, and a couple of other concerns popping up. But I, I, my sense of it isn't necessarily cheating, right? It, it is sort of like, well, here's what the rules are. What exactly does this rule mean, and and where yeah. where are the lines? And I, I think that's it. Seems to be that could be the issue as much as how am I interpreting this rule, right? It's it's, yes, it's mostly yes. just and, a, and interpretation. It's, it's what coaches do, right? We push the envelope in a lot of different ways, um, but I think in these extenuating circumstances, um, cooler heads need to prevail and say, hey, you know what? Stop stop looking for an edge. Um, let's let's try to get on the same page. Let's give everybody a chance to be be successful um, and use the similar similar guidelines to what we can and can't provide our student-athletes. So when we play football again, hopefully sooner rather than later, is out of out of the hands of not just coaches, out of the, even the people above the, your bosses and their bosses don't really know exactly when these decisions, when, when those decisions will be made and when we'll be back at it again. So I'll ask you the thing that you can control or will want to be able to control. How much time do you think you'll need to get your team ready to play a season? That is the biggest question we are all trying to answer um, from a football standpoint, from a strength conditioning standpoint, and most importantly from a medical standpoint um, with our medical experts both on campuses and at the NCAA level and, and, and outside the NCAA level. Um, not even getting into fans gathering the stands, just getting into coming back into a building and having um, young people coming back from all over the country. Like, what's the smartest, best way to do that? Um, but once we're all back in there, you know, I've heard a lot of different things, and I've been involved with a lot of different discussions. Um, there's a there's a bit of a sweet spot between six and seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, there are versions where that gets more condensed. There are versions where that are longer. Um, the most important thing to to remember in this fashion, not of all, there's a lot of important things to remember. But as far as preparing a team, as we just mentioned. We've got guys all over the country, you know, all, all, even those that recruit locally, they're not on your campus. And a lot of guys are coming. When they come back to you, some of these guys haven't been able to do what you would like for them to be able to do to prepare for a training camp, let alone for the season. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of health concerns with conditioning young people to prepare this, this to, to play this ridiculous sport that we all love. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is where our medical community is really going to have their biggest piece in this part, which is what is the smartest, safest way we can prepare these guys. And don't forget, some of these guys are going to come back. They're going to come back from a cool environment to go to somewhere down south where it's going to be hot. And that body getting uh, accustomed to that heat with pads on, that's a process that doesn't just happen, you know, just because they say we can practice, we run out there and start practicing. Um, so there, there's a, there's a, there are a lot of safety components to the ramp up of got basically a guy going from not doing anything for uh, one month, two months, three months um, to being able to play this sport at a high level in college football. So that's, that's the question that we're all trying to answer. Okay, let me circle back on one quick thing regarding what's going on right now 
and that is the academic piece. Because what I keep hearing from coaches is, hey, we are all academic advisors right now. Uh, you know, before before we started uh, taping, uh, David and I talked about our own children and how they're dealing with different online aspects and in some ways thriving and in other ways struggling. So when it comes to your team, uh, and this is Stanford, I don't even know how much online learning is done at Stanford. I mean, online classes are fairly common around the country, but at a place like Stanford, are they available at all? Or is this uncommon for your kids to be taking classes online? How is that piece of it going at a place like Stanford where the academics are so challenging? There are, um, and they don't like to be called online classes necessarily, but there are lectures uh, that are done and, and accessible by our by our students, and they're only in a few classes normally. Um, but now we've made a huge shift to where a high percentage of still some of the some of the classes just aren't going to be available um, for Stanford to do them at the level they want them to do, and some of the ones with labs and those are just those are ones that are going to be the toughest to to duplicate. Um, but um, I give a lot of credit to our provost uh, and our president. Um, and setting the curriculum and what we can do, and our, our professors have been phenomenal in making these adjustments to still give this high-level education that our people signed up for, athletes and non-athletes, um, and be able to deliver that uh, in, in, a, in a way that's, that still makes us Stanford. So, yes, uh, the majority of our classes are available. Um, they are uh, challenging and exciting um, and, are, and engaging, um, so our guys are are fully uh, in, uh, invested right now in that. Um, sup- and supplemental-wise, football you know, football for us is not imminent. So you know, we're making sure we have our touch points with our guys, um, but their focus is still, hey, you know, I, they're doing their classes, doing their work, um, and making sure that still they find their time to uh, do the workouts that we send them. I would imagine that having players who are already getting a Stanford education – could take a little pressure off you as far as making sure they are on top of their academics. And that's not to short shrift anybody else out there, any other school or any other, any other team. But it, it would, I would sense that these are highly motivated students if they're actually got into Stanford. Yes, that's a, that's a very well-worded uh, sentence you had there. <laughs> um, and I'll even say this, without... Without using this uh, horrific situation um, for my own purposes, but just as I was sitting the other day thinking about, you know, just in our situation where we are and what we're trying to do at Stanford, and this is an advertisement for Stanford University, for us, uh, in, in a way that, man, if if football goes away, you know, or is, is mitigated in some in some way, and it's not what we think it what we what it is, you know, what we would like for it to be. Um, if you can't go in these grand, big, huge buildings uh, that are popping up all over the places, and these beautiful locker rooms, and all these things that we're doing, and all you get for the next year is your education. I mean, this is where else would you be? Where else would you rather be than, than at Stanford? So, once again, I'm not trying to make light of the situation at all. But at the very least, I know our guys, if we don't get the full football experience that we wanted to have, they're still going to get the full educational experience uh, and special degree from Stanford University. So um, I, I know our guys uh, appreciate that, 
Um, and uh, it's honestly, it's, it's truly palpable when you hear people say, which I do believe we're going to have a football season, when you hear people say, gosh, there might not be a way for us to have a season. And I look at that, and I'm like, at the bare minimum, our guys are still getting a world-class education. David Shaw is the coach of Stanford. Uh, we are going to take a break here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, and we will be back right after this. We'll talk about some more global issues with David right after this. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I am speaking with Stanford coach David Shaw. Uh, So we talked more about, in the first part, about what's the here and now and what your world has been like over the last month or so. Uh, Turned upside down like everybody else's, though, you know, relatively speaking, we're both pretty lucky um, as far as where we are right now with health of our family and our friends. Let's talk about some issues that we would have talked about before the pandemic turned sports upside down. And that is you're the chairman of of the NCAA Football Rules Committee. Not a lot of big news coming out of that committee as far as big sort of major rule changes, some interesting ones, but nothing that I think popped to fans. What what I thought was the most interesting thing that came out of your meetings was a rule that a place where you're not necessarily making a rule, but there was sort of a message sent. And that is, hey, coaches out there who are teaching their kids or, or sort of prompting their kids or coaxing their kids into faking injuries to slow down some of these high-powered offenses, we want to stop that. It's a hard thing to legislate, but if we could talk a little bit about where that, why you were prompted to sort of send a message to coaches that we need to get this under control. Well, I'll be very blunt here. Um, in our opinion, and the opinion of most coaches that I've talked to, this is two things. This is cheating, and this is a showing a lack of integrity. Um, to to teach your student-athletes, your young people, which we all say the reason why you play team sports is you teach these, you learn these un, invaluable lessons for the rest of your lives. But now to go back and say, hey, you know what, let's, let's, let's cheat. Let's, let's do something false. Let's try to um, pretend that you're injured because we know the officials can't judge whether or not you're really injured. So we're going to have a signal that says one or more of you have to pretend to be injured so that we can slow down this offense. Um, it, it, we believe it's cheating. We believe it shows a lack of integrity. Um, we're trying not to over-adjudicate the game. We're trying not to come up with a rule and, a, and, a, and an in-game penalty because um, we, we're trying to avoid that. We're trying to appeal to the coaches through the AFCA, um, try to appeal to the universities through the athletic directors and um, through the conference commissioners to say, hey, get a, get a, get a stranglehold on this. Let's have our conversations. Um, if this becomes obvious, we would hope that the individual universities, the individual conferences will have their own sanctions um, to, take, to try to take this out of the game. If, that, if this trend doesn't change, then we'll have to go back and we'll have to have an in-game penalty 
um, because when you when you see the clips, when you see what what has happened really over the last couple of years, and you, you watch them ball back to back to back, um, it really turns your stomach. Um, and this is not what college football is supposed to be about. Okay, so let me ask you bluntly. I'm not going to ask you to call people out, but have you? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you. If, well, I might as well ask you the question. Sure. Um, are there certain chronic culprits uh, out there uh, doing these things? Well, uh, like, and could you name like them? Most times we have discussions about things that are wrong with our sport. It's usually the lower percentage. Okay. Right. This isn't rampant all over college football, but it's enough significant, and it's not just one conference. It's it's across all conferences, really. Um, just you have those small, and a lot of them, like some of these things that came up um, and were discussed, the head coaches didn't even know, right? It was the D-line coach had a special thing with his guys or the linebacker coach said, hey, you know what, I'm going to give you a signal if we need to slow these guys down. And some of those didn't even get up to the head coach where the head coaches were really upset. Um, I know this happened uh, years ago um, at Cal, where Cal suspended a coach um, mm-hmm. for a game uh, when they find, found out what he, he was doing with his guys to slow down uh, offenses. Um, so just there, there is a bit of a precedent set there. Um, but uh, across college football, we just want to put the message out there that, hey, hey you know what, be honest, um, show integrity, be leaders as coaches um, to, to push your guys to be as good as they can be and, and try to win the game within the rules. Because it's actually against the rules. There's a there's not a specific penalty for it, but early in the rule book, when you look at the NCAA rule book for football, it mentions it mentions um, feigning injuries as uh, not not coaching the game with integrity. Right, and just to give a little perspective, I'll, I'll I'll fill this blank in for you. One of the reasons why it's so difficult to police is because you do not want to incentivize um, players staying in games because they're hurt right like i mean you, you like you, if there are legitimate injuries and you say well if you get hurt you have to sit out a full series or something along those lines what you're probably what you what you risk doing is a player going you know what i think i can make it i think i'll be okay right i mean so that's essential that's one of the big parts of why this is such a tough thing to police yep and you don't want to put that on the officials either right you don't right. want to put the officials on okay this guy's not hurt so i'm not going to stop the play um, so you don't want to do that, and then you don't want that young man saying, "Hey, you know what? I don't want to hurt my team and have to miss. You know, I'm going to play this one more play before I come out, and I'll be able to get off the field." Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want that to happen. If a young man is hurt, if anybody's playing this game, they're hurt. You want them to go down. You want them to get the medical attention they need and and get helped off the field so they can be as safe as possible. Um, so we have to find that. We have to have to find a way to get the false injuries out of the game um, with some real consequences, uh, preferably from the conferences, preferably from the schools, um, so that we can just play football and not have to. Um, cause the other thing that's happened, that, that really, uh, being in the sport my entire life, my dad was a football coach, and for all of my life, whenever someone was injured um, and they had to stop the game and they were helped off, both sides, both teams, both sets of fans, they all applauded. And now you start to hear boos. Mm, you know, you start to boos because point, the people David. in the stands don't know if that guy's really injured or if he's trying to fake an injury to slow their team down, and that just makes you feel bad. Um, that as a as a competitor out there, a guy's giving his heart to his team, is to his university, um, and he got injured and he's being helped off, 
and people there don't believe that he's actually injured in their booing. You don't want that to happen in our stadiums. So the the two other sort of global issues, and I also want to talk to you about your team. It seems like we are moving toward a place where a one-time exception for transfers will be available across all sports. It'll be available in the form of a waiver, possibly. Now, it, there's also a good chance this can might get kicked down the road a little bit because of all the uh, circumstances re- involving the coronavirus that that even if you have a season a full college sports season coming into the fall to implement something like this at this point might not be the best idea so there's a, a chance that we might be looking at that rule as more of a 2021 22 rule i know you've been an advocate of the grad transfer situation and letting those players have a chance to to switch teams and not have to sit out as i you've said it many times they have done what we have asked them to do. They have graduated. Now it looks like there might be a little more freedom for everybody else. It seems like we're heading in that direction. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, I, I get stuck in the middle, and there are two sides for me. You know, Number one, I would love to slow the recruiting process down to help these young people make better decisions. Because to me, that's what it really boils down to. Um, if you choose to go to a university just because the head coach says that you're going to win the Heisman as a freshman, and then your freshman year, you're a third string because you haven't earned a starting spot, and then you transfer, uh, that, that, is, that just makes me feel terrible, right, that, we, that we've, we've emphasized the wrong things. Um, the other side is if there's truly a bad situation for a young person, the coordinator switched, the offense switched, the defense switched, um, and now I don't fit their scheme. You'd hate to handcuff someone by saying you can't transfer, right? That's, that's as some would say, that's un-American. Um, so for me, uh, I would love to have a grace period. Now, this is not going to happen, but you're just asking my opinion, to say, gosh, how can you truly know if you're in a right, good fit or not, before two years, um, a year and a half, like to actually be there because most of us, somewhere in their first two years, you either doubted your ability or you doubted that the coaches were ever going to play you. You doubted that, that, that they liked you, mm-hmm. right? Because it's supposed to be hard, you know? And if you want to be good, it's hard. If the team wants to be good, it's hard. And we've had so many guys that end up being fourth and fifth year seniors that were stars as fourth and fifth year seniors that maybe didn't play a lot as freshmen or play at all as freshmen and so i think we're losing that bit of toughness that little bit of um you know resilience of gosh i'm the i'm the third quarterback in the room as a sophomore but i believe in myself and i like what we're doing on the offense and i'm going to work my way up um kevin hogan's their all-time winning all-time winningest quarterback in Stanford football history, uh, led us to three Pac-12 championships, two Rose Bowl victories. He tells a story that his freshman year, he was the, he was the number five quarterback, right? He's the number five quarterback, and if he had these rules now, he doesn't think he would have left Stanford, but it probably would have crossed his mind. But by midway through his sophomore year, he was our starting quarterback and led us to the Rose Bowl. And you think about all the young men out there, that are pulling the parachute and jumping off the ship um, early in their career before they had a chance to say, you know what, this is supposed to be hard, and, and, and I have to work my way up. 
Um, so that that's that's where it's difficult for me. Um, it looks like there's a lot of, uh, you know, not from the coaching side, but from outside of football, honestly, pushing for this one-time transfer rule. Um, do I think there will be chaos? Uh, it'll be year to year. You know, it'll be year to year. And how can you manage your roster if you switch your you switch your defensive coordinator and 12 guys on your defense decide to transfer? I mean, you can't you can't replace 12 upperclassmen uh, in one year. So there, those are the things that do, that as a coach you worry about roster management, um, being able to coach a young man hard. And tell them, hey, you're not giving me what we need. And now you say you want to be great, but here's what it's going to take for you to actually get on the field. And the kid's saying, well, I don't want to do that. I'm transferring. Um, so all those things I laid out to you is kind of a long-winded answer. Um, but but I, I, I get nervous about just making a blanket, you know, no matter when in your career, one, one game or one year, one transfer grace, grace period. That's, that's tough for me. Yeah, I've kind of thought about the same thing, the idea of poss- – and I don't think it's going to end up this way, the idea of possibly you know, sort of making that – okay, from your sophomore year on. But again, I don't think we're heading in that direction. So one quick thing on name, image, and likeness, and I'm certainly not going to ask you to, uh, to figure this thing out. But I will <laughs> ask you this. From where you sit as a coach, what is the thing that concerns you about it? Where is the thing that you, you're sort of focused on? Because there's going to be a myriad details here on how this is worked out. And I don't, I don't know if you necessarily are going to need to know all the details, but what are the, what's the one piece of this from a coach's standpoint that you are that maybe gives you a little pause? Much like we talked about earlier with the what we can send guys and getting on the same page, et cetera. My biggest concern is uniformity. Um, I believe that whatever we decide to do, and, and I'm not against name, image, likeness, and I never have been. I've always been uh, understanding of it and, and don't have any issue with it whatsoever because to me it's not like uh, paying the players. That's different. Um, this is uh, someone who becomes um, well-known and can use his own name, image, and likeness in whatever way he sees fit to to uh, to make some money off of it. I have no issue with that. Um, the issue I have is some universities and some areas being able to capitalize on that um, for recruiting purposes, um, et cetera. So for me, what, and I do believe that we're going to get there eventually when this all comes to fruition, is that we, as the, as the NCAA, in conjunction with um, prefer, uh, hopefully uh, Washington D.C. and some some legal to have some legal boundaries on what we and what can and can happen with this name, image, and likeness. And I only say that I say that for a couple reasons. First and foremost, um, a lot of these will will allow young people to have agents, and um, the process of becoming an agent. Let's just say it's not uniform, yeah. and. We've all heard the horror stories, and the best 30 for 30 I've ever watched was the one called Broke, and guys that played for a lot of years in the NFL and had a lot of money ended up with no money. Um, So protecting young people that are 16, 17 years old and not versed in this world in any way, shape, or form, and a lot of parents that don't know a lot about um, this stuff, now they're going to be subject to... 
uh, having an agent that and, and trusting somebody is going to have their best interest. And we all know how that has gone sometimes. So, so for me, I think we need to protect young people. I think there needs to be a process in order for any agent to represent um, someone under 18 uh, in, in, in college athletics. Um, I think there needs to be a penalty process for those that, that abuse the trust of these young people and their families. Um, and on, on the football side, um, I would think that there needs to be constraints about what a university can do. My preference would be that the universities can't get involved at all, that a young person and his representative uh, her or her representative can search out and do whatever they want to do outside of the university and that the university and their, alo- uh, their alumni can't have any stake in it. That, to me, would make it the most comprehensive and it would that would upset a lot of people because a lot of people have been looking forward to this so they can grab their alumni and make sure they get you know kids to do get fifty thousand dollars for doing a tv commercial right mm-hmm. and say hey come to come join us because we're going to help you make a whole bunch of money off the field um uh, to me that is not what we're trying to do i think we're trying to allow people like you know uh, i'll bring up johnny Manziel in a positive light um to someone like Johnny Manziel, who bursts on the scene, um, for him to be able to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to use my name, image, and likeness and to start monetizing myself outside of my university. Mm-hmm. So I don't need help from the university. I can kind of do this on my own. That, to me, is the best-case scenario. Yeah, you know, I would think especially at a place like Stanford where a lot of the students and among them your players might have some talents that go beyond and the ability to to sort of be entrepreneurial entrepreneurial and and think beyond just their their sport and be in position to to make a little money i would think a again a place like stanford there might be there might be a few athletes who can figure out ways to within rules make a few extra bucks that shouldn't really be a problem for the university absolutely absolutely and and there's a percentage of my team regardless of this rule every single year these guys are trying to start companies. These guys are right, coming up right. with ideas of uh, what to do online and, and YouTube channels and all those different things that these guys would want to do. And I think it would be great for us to provide some advice on how to do those things but not be involved in the actual setting up of those things. Um, because, once again, now, you know, doing it in L.A. is one thing. Doing it in New York is another thing. You know, doing it here in Silicon Valley, there might be some inherent advantages um, that maybe other people don't have trying to do it in Salt Lake City, trying to do it in, you know, you know, being it down south, and can you use your alumni? I, to me, the more uniform we make it, the better it's going to be for all of us. Okay, so let's talk about your team for a second. So now, listen, Stanford coming off a 4-8 and eight season, it's been a long, long time. And I know you're not thrilled about that, and I'm sure your fans and your players were not thrilled about that. There was a lot of things that didn't look like Stanford football last year. K.J. Costello, who's moved on as a transfer, Davis Mills seems to be the quarterback that I think we're probably, you know, of the team here. There's There was a running game that sort of went away, a, a way of Stanford likes to play football that wasn't really what we saw out of Stanford last year. Dave, I can't remember how many spring practices, if at all, you had. But what do you expect this year, as much as you can, on a year where there's so much uncertainty? Where do you expect to see some improvements? What is your goal as far as sort of getting back to the, the Stanford way of football that made the program so successful for so long? Uh, well, it, to, to do a quick brief around the world, um, last year, you know, part of me wants to wake up one morning and say, gosh, you know, that was all a dream. It didn't happen. 
You know, we're about to start the 2019 season, and everybody's healthy, and now let's get after it. Um, because I do think we were extremely talented. I do think we had a lot of guys. Um, and we had a chance to have a really good season before guys start getting injured and a lot of things happen. Um, but the other side of me says, you know what, gosh, that was a great lesson for a lot of our guys. We had a lot of young players that had a chance to run out there, get their nose bloodied, make some mistakes that are going to pay off for us um, in the short term and in the long term. Um, uh, as far as spring practices, we got about half of our spring in, um, a little bit less, and we were doing really well. Um, liked where we were. Um, I think, once again, that aftermath of a really difficult season and still bringing a lot of guys back, and we're only losing a couple of a couple of guys that played significant time for us in, in all three phases. Most everybody's coming back, and there's that kind of sense of raising our standard to where we know it uh, it can be, uh, much like you mentioned before, um, looking at our film and saying, that's Stanford football. Um, that happened multiple times this spring, whereas I don't know how many times it happened outside the, the Washington game and a half against USC and a half against Notre Dame, you know, and, uh, and, and parts of Oregon State. Like, we never felt like ourselves. So for us getting back to, to who we are, it's dominating the line of scrimmage. Point blank. It's dominating the line of scrimmage. Um, we, we were light on the offensive line last year. But once again, uh, glass half full, we have a lot of young guys that got a chance to play. Um, our superstar left tackle, Walt, uh, Walker Little, didn't get a chance to play outside of part of one game last year. He's back now. He'll be one of the top tackles in America this year. Uh, freshman left tackle, uh, Walter Rouse, played the entire year. Um, he may now be able to kick inside. So looking at our starting five, um, it's got a chance to be what people remember. Uh, as far as us being great up front and still know that we've got three or four or five guys behind them that you know we can do some of the things that people remember also getting to our seven offensive line packages, being physical up front, um, and still being a great pass-protecting team because I do believe we've got a special quarterback in Davis Mills. Um, he showed that when he was healthy last year at the end of the season. Um, he was lights out against Washington State through for over 500 yards. Um, outstanding against uh, Notre Dame at the end of the year, really good against Cal. So we believe he's a budding superstar. So for us to be able to protect him up front with those big guys, protect him with the running game, but then also bring back all of our receivers from last year um, that we have high expectations for, um, Connor Weddington, uh, great run after catch and great receiver, Michael Wilson, led us in receptions last year, and Simi Pohoko broke the school record for yards per catch. Um, not to mention Osiris St. Brown's got a chance to be a special player also. So for us to bring back all of those guys, be able to play the way we want to up front on the offensive side, that I think would be a lot better. And I think one of the things that was really understated last year was we felt so great coming out of training camp for where we are on the defensive side. Um, and then the, once the injury bug hit us, uh, we we're, we're started a bunch of guys that played their hearts out but we had a lot of guys that we thought were really, really good that never played, uh, never played it down. So um, us getting healthy, us getting back to where we want to be up front all, on offense and defense, um, we believe we've got a chance to be one of the top teams in our conference and work our way back up to being the national prominent team that we have been. All right, last one for you is I know you, you have been uh, a regular on the NFL Network's draft coverage. I think that was the plan before again everything got turned upside down are you still going to be part of that that coverage come next week for the nfl draft 
Uh, it remains to be seen. It's, it's probably unlikely. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of those things are are getting nailed down and, and constrained to a certain degree. Um, right. There's only so many. There's only so many people they can bring in on a Zoom meeting, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but uh, but I, I've still done some preparation. So if they want me to come on for a segment, I'd love to. Um, but it pro- it's probably unlikely. Uh, but I love that draft process. I love draft day. It's going to be different this year, but it won't be any less exciting. And you must have been really excited about seeing Christian McCaffrey sign that big extension. If there's a, it's hard for running backs these days. It's a hard world, but he's a little bit of everything, and he certainly has turned out to be everything uh, we thought he might be in college. Yeah, a lot of people here at Stanford, myself included, have been able to say a lot of "I told you so"s over the last couple of years. <laughs> um, for those people that doubted uh, his size and be able to be as productive in the NFL, um, we we just kept saying after watching this guy every single day. Um, you can say how big you think he is, but I'm going to tell you he's the biggest back on the field every single time he steps out there. Um, he's special. He's a difference maker. And you just keep reminding yourself that he's young. You know, he's young. When he And I, I've teased him before. When he, when he shaves and, and gets a haircut, <laughs> boy, he looks really young. I mean, he's, he's still got a lot of growth, and I honestly don't believe he's reached his peak. Um, I think in the next couple of years we got a chance, if he can stay healthy, knock on wood, I mean, you got a chance to see a lot of NFL records drop. David Shaw is the coach of Stanford football. He's been doing it for a while. I really appreciate you joining me, David, and covering so much ground. Best to you and your family. Please stay healthy. Please stay safe. And hopefully we will see each other at an actual football game sometime in the fall. God willing. But great to talk to you. And now three and out. First down. I would say from the ADs I have spoken to, if you give them the choice between starting a season on time or close to on time but with restricted fan access or waiting until February and getting a whole season in with no restrictions on fan access, they would take the complications of playing in the spring and all the revenue that comes with actually having paying customers at the games. That's probably not a surprise, but I think it's a good piece of information to keep in mind over the next month or so as the urgency to start making real plans to address when the season will be played rises. Second down, we are getting close to NFL Draft Day, and I know the league has taken some criticism for going about business as usual, but man oh man, I am excited for this draft to happen just to get some real sports into my life. We'll do a draft preview next week, most likely. I am no Mel Kuyper or Daniel Jeremiah when it comes to evaluating draft prospects, but I do about 50 short player profiles for the AP, finished those up recently, uh, reading up on players to find some consensus and adding my own impressions on those players. What struck me as I went through the mock drafts and prospects is there seems to be three elite or close to elite defensive players after Chase Young. Ohio State corner Jeff Akuda, Clemson do-it-all linebacker Isaiah Simmons, and Auburn defensive tackle Derek Brown. Maybe I'm overrating Brown a little when I call him elite, but to me, he is the clear cut above the rest of the interior defensive linemen. Because quarterbacks always get overdrafted and a receiver or an offensive tackle could sneak into the top five or six picks, I would expect at least one of Okuda, Simmons, or Brown to slip toward the bottom of the top 10. And to me, that seems like a potential steal. Third down, last thought 
for me on Stanford. The situation there is so fascinating. Few coaches in the country have Shaw's security for a variety of reasons. First, he's earned it with the previous success. Second, he is such a tremendous fit at a school where, frankly, the average football coach is not going to be a fit. Shaw still has kids in high school, so I I don't necessarily think he's itching to move any more than he has been in the past, which is to say not much. I'm not sure he's quite as attractive a candidate as he once was for NFL teams, though, again, he's still very much the same person. So I think there's a leadership quality there that might be attractive to a lot of NFL teams. But you do wonder if he has another down season, if maybe it would be best for him and Stanford to try something different. There's a conventional wisdom out there that after about 10 years or so, it might be best for a coach to move on and try something new. That seems unlikely. And in an uncertain Pac-12 North, I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford is more of a factor than it has been this season, whenever it is played, than it has been over the past few seasons. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Westwood One Podcasts. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC.